Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Mandy Walls. Find me at LNXCHK on Twitter. Welcome back, folks. This week, I have with me Chris Munns. He is currently the tech lead slash advisor to the AWS Startups field team in the Americas. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Tell us about what you do. Like, that's a lot of title. So it sounds like there's a lot of work there. What do you, what kind of stuff do you work on? I've got kind of an interesting role and I'll start more broadly with like what my organization does now in AWS. And so I've been inside of AWS now for actually just a little shy of 11 years. I think I'll had 11 years of like three months or something like that. And I've been in a couple different roles. I came over to the team that I'm in in September of 2021. And so back at the beginning of September, I'm uh, sorry, back at the beginning of 2020, we actually went and created a, a whole top level kind of field organization focused on startup customers here at AWS. It's completely all encompassing of sales and solution architect and a couple different layers of biz dev and sales ops and finance people and some product folks that own some of our startup focused products like our Activate program and our Activate console. And we took that and siloed it up pretty high in the, the food chain at AWS. So they started that in 2020. And kind of a year or so into it, uh, through conversations that I had with the person who's now the director of social architecture uh, for the startups team in the Americas, they kind of acknowledged that they had a, a little bit of a gap in terms of having someone or some ones who could tackle some kind of higher level strategy type of programs, not related just to like people management or to like sales types of activities directly. Similarly, it was a pretty young org. So the org itself, you know, even though a lot of people came over into it when they created it in 2020, uh, it had rapidly grown and rapidly hired. And it, it hired probably 60, 70% of the people that were on the team when I joined. It was their first team in AWS. Quite a few of them were quite young, both in terms of actual age, but then just general tenure inside of AWS, which now is, is pretty large. And so I came over as uh, effectively the senior most IC in the org or individual contributor, as we use in the, the enterprise terms here. And uh, my role is kind of a number of different focuses. One is kind of the highest technical escalation that we have inside of this organization that my peers can go through when they need help. Uh, and typically when they need help with you know our customers. So you get all the gnarly problems. I get some gnarly problems. I also just get some like organizational ones, you know, like things of communication structure and things that inside of a big company with complex customers and complex products, you know, some of my peers don't really know where to go to or how to get help on certain things. And even some of their managers may not, some of their managers may not, uh, their managers' managers may not, I should say. So I handle escalations that are of all sorts of technical nature, you know, helping to make sure we've got the right product teams involved helps to make sure that, you know, support organizations got the right access to the customer in terms of who we're talking to and who we're working with. So I deal with occasional fires and fire drills and stuff like that. I'm also involved in a number of internally facing enablement programs and projects. So, you know, part of the reason that we siloed off this startup focus group is that 
selling to and working with startups is very different from our large enterprise customer base. We see customers that come into us from incubators and accelerators and seed programs, and uh, they could be two people at a company. We actually have a lot of non-technical founders that outsource the technical side early on, and we may interface with them directly too. So that plus the kinds of products and how the startup customers might use our products skews a bit from the average of what we would consider to be a enterprise or more mature organization in some ways. So we have to think differently about how we communicate, what we communicate, what the message is. You know, just like as an example, uh, you know, again, AWS wide product portfolio, uh, wide field enablement motions. There was a point in time where they were saying, you know, everyone has to take this Oracle database migration training. Oh, geez. That's not an area that we have a lot of startups, you know, happy to go through that thing. And so there's stuff like that. But then, you know, the other side of it is that we have customers that will build their entire business on a no name, brand new JavaScript framework, or will pick up some sort of database that, you know, was open sourced by someone and build on top of it and need to understand, you know, how to scale it and how to do things with it. So there's, there's interesting edges to that. And then maybe the last big category I'll say, which is a bucket of things, which is uh, effectively outbound, uh, like go-to-market strategy. So I was responsible for the, the technical aspects of running our reInvent track. Uh, so reInvent's our, our yearly user conference that we do in Las Vegas. We had a startup-focused track this year that had about 20 sessions in it, uh, a mix of technical and then also actually more like cultural. Like we had a couple mm-hmm. sessions on like growing and scaling engineering teams engineering and product management relationships, uh, you know, things that you can do inside of a startup to make your developers happier, which is not the typical technical session that we would have at reInvent. Yeah, that sounds super different. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very multifaceted, different kind of role. I'm still acting kind of as like a public facing figure for the organization as well. So occasionally getting out there and speaking and writing content. But yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a jumble senior IC kind of a role. And there's too many hats that I wear to even like stack on top of each other. <laughs> that does sound that way. Oh my gosh. So from that standpoint, like like you said, you've been at AWS a long time. So compared to like other places you have worked within AWS, like does it feel like a completely different sort of thing? Because you had come in most recently right from serverless, right? You have been working in, yeah. in Lambda, yeah. which is also super interesting for folks. And like, how does that compare? Is it just a completely different part of the market or is there more overlap? It's interesting. So like across my, my span of time, so I first joined AWS in 2011 as a solution architect in the New York office when we were less than 20 people and we weren't even like in a Regis rental room office space. We were like in a lower level copycat of Regis office like rental space. And like we were scattered on this one floor with different rooms and like in between us would be like just like random other businesses and stuff. And it was very like, it was very strange. And in those early days, we basically, you know, there were less than 20 of us in New York. There were maybe a couple hundred people globally at AWS at that point in time. And uh, it was really small and early and you did everything from enterprises to startups and everything in between. I did that for a few years. I actually left Amazon for about six months, ran infrastructure for a startup in New York City called Hinge. 
and then came back into a business development role, which was kind of a technical business development role focused on the DevOps space. And so, uh, you know, representing kind of our developer management tools, did a lot of partner facing things, worked with companies like PagerDuty, worked with companies like Shaf and Heroku and other ones that were, you know, really active back then on programs and partnerships and stuff like that. And then found myself about 18 months later through, I would say, somewhat like serendipitous conversations with the product team that was building Lambda, kind of us all mutually coming to a conclusion that there was this big gap in how we did kind of go to market strategy for serverless and and how we actually spoke with developer customers. Mm -hmm. So uh, as you're alluding to, I went on to go and and build out and lead serverless developer advocacy at AWS, uh, of which there really wasn't anything much before I got there and kind of got a chance to shape this role focused on serverless. So it was like very deeply niche in that space. Uh, You know, serverless is obviously a big hot topic for AWS and has been for the last several years. It was a lot of outbound content creation, presenting, flying around, dealing with the product teams and stuff like that. I would say now where I am, what's really interesting is, again, I get this opportunity to, when I first joined AWS, there were like 24 services or something like that. You can probably remember all of their names and what yeah. they do. Like cutesy, like the, the console back then, like you can almost say like, it was like cute. It's like, oh, there's like 24 little baby services. Like, look at this. And now, you know, we're 200 plus services across almost two dozen categories of products. And granted, most customers don't use all of them. Although I think many customers sometimes try to see what they can layer into uh, a single architecture. And then I, you know, kind of went DevOps space and then serverless. So I got like more niche, more focused. Now where I am in the, the role that I am and also we see with startups, it's back to that wide spectrum. And so what's really fascinating again about the startup space is that we've got companies doing a little bit of everything. You know, obviously we've got some really heavy uh, machine learning workloads and AI workloads. We also have just a ton of like healthcare, life sciences type things. We have a ton of B2B, a ton of B2C, a ton of, you know, just kind of anything you could think of. And so I find it to be actually one of the most, if not probably the most interesting customer segment in AWS. It really is kind of that core gene of who we first were that like spun out, you know, the concept of AWS from Amazon. But there's just so much sprawl to the the possibilities. There's so many unique needs. There's so many unique kind of use cases like Yes, we're not doing a whole lot of Oracle database migrations and we're not doing a lot of like SAP or, you know, some of that big kind of stuff. But, you know, we've got customers, I mean, some of the customers in the AI and ML space, they've got thousands and thousands of core, you know, compute clusters. Wow. Um, Some of them are using GPUs in incredible ways. Some of them are processing amazing amounts of data, you know, in the HCLS space, uh, healthcare life sciences, where we've got customers doing medical research uh, you know, genomic type research, there's things that you could do now with the cloud that back in the day, you know, would have involved millions and millions and millions of dollars of investment to buy hardware. Oh, yeah. It would have been like a later stage of a time at a company. Like they would have done all of this kind of like philosophical paperwork and guessing. And uh, now you're able to just like, boom, dive right in, start processing it's very different from that perspective. I see a lot of the kind of aggregate data that we bubble up from these companies, from the pain points they have, from the opportunities for growth. And it just means that there's like a lot of a lot in this space. 
which makes it pretty exciting. Yeah. Like you said, there, there's so much. And like, as you're talking, I'm like, yeah, okay. I have definitely talked to folks who are like digging around in some of these sort of frontier solution spaces and then looking at what AWS has done and can provide. How do you get folks started? Like, since it's not the 24 cute little starter apps, it's like, oh, I need a, I need a virtual machine and I need a VPN yeah. thing and I can set my yeah. things up. And like, then you like peel off the first cover of I am and you're like, oh my, your face melts. How do you help folks get started across all of those options? Yeah. And, and I'll say, uh, and I think I've actually probably said this in my last role too. I mean, customer education probably remains one of, I think, the biggest challenges that I come across. You know, again, going back to maybe how like, Things would have been even a decade ago. You wouldn't have found a, a non-technical person stumbling no. into AWS as much. We have, especially in like the accelerator and incubator space, some of these programs take folks in that uh, have a great business idea, but really don't necessarily have the experience to execute on it like already. But they're tasked to maybe basically build that up. So it's kind of like here's a developer tutorial and here's some folks from AWS and they're going to help you out. And so, you know, where it starts from us is, you know, we've got a mountain of content out there, you know, a couple thousand pieces of content get created by AWS every year from, you know, how to's to more advanced things. When we do get the opportunity to work with a customer, you know, my peers in the solution architecture team are incredibly well-versed at helping our customers kind of pull apart where they should get started, right? Like, okay, this is the tool you should use to start building. This is where we would point you at. This is what that kind of first stack looks like. And I think actually one one of the things I've been focused on the last couple of months is us being a lot more opinionated about that, mm. for better or worse. Um, yes, there's a lot of different ways to run containers. There's a lot of different ways to run code. But how can we get you down to two to three options for that, like starting off day one kind of experience? In the broadest sense beyond that, I would say there is a little bit of that that luck and hope that that customers do land on the right that right page for building and hosting stuff. Uh, and, and again, I guess we are very fortunate in the breadth of the community that we have out there of people writing tutorials and sharing their getting started experiences and stuff like that. Beyond that, though, we've got like incredible partners and an incredible ecosystem around us of companies that are great for day one. And so we see companies like, I mean, Heroku, it's been around for forever at this point, it feels like, uh, but newer companies like Vercel and Netlify and Render and uh, Superbase and a couple others that are also doing really exciting things. Most of them pretty much like built on top of AWS and offering up these like abstractions on top of us that are opinionated, but often in a very good way for certain use cases and certain needs. And so in my mind, like I'm cool when customers build with those things because it solves their problem, it gets them started. And, and then from there, they can kind of go forward. But it is a bit of a challenge for, you know, you hope that the SEO gods are in your favor and that it lands someone like in the, the best getting started or the best day one content. Um, and then if not, we hope that we have that opportunity to guide them in some form or fashion. Yeah, definitely. There's, like I said, there are so many so many options. And I feel like some of them are pretty niche. And like this podcast website does go out via Netlify. And we do host some other things there just for ease of use. Like you said, like, it's a bunch of flat files, and I just need to put them on a CPU somewhere and host a DNS. And that's all we really needed for those. So yeah, definitely. The options are, are wild and crazy. And I don't have to run them myself anymore, which is amazing. Yeah. 
So one of the things we we do on the show is we debunk myths. And I, I know there's plenty of myths around just cloud in general, but like, are there any like common myths or misconceptions that you find amongst the folks that you talk to that you just want to like lay it all out there, tell some truth to the folks? Yeah, I think there's a couple. I mean, when, when we talk specifically about startups, one thing that I was really surprised about when I came into a role working with them much more closely is how many of them have to think about compliance and accreditation early on. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, both in the United States and I would say in EMEA and in, in certain other uh, markets around the world where the powers that be have decided on certain requirements and compliance needs, the scope of them is a lot broader than I think they used to be. Mm-hmm. And so today we see, you know, for example, our customers that are in the HCLS space, far more of them having to deal with, you know, HIPAA or HIPAA-like guidance uh, around maintaining of medical information, around personal information, personal healthcare information. Uh, similarly, you know, there are a lot of companies that end up falling uh, listening to financial record storage and, and how you have to think about that. It's really fascinating. We see a lot of companies going through the various levels of SOC early on. Oh, okay. Which in my mind is just like, whoa, <laughs> like why would you why would you ever want to deal with that? But there's quite a few of them that know, hey, early on, I'm going to need to deal with this if I want to be a credible company. I don't feel like that was something that I felt like I saw uh, in the earlier days of AWS with the kind of customers that were building with us then. I think the second is, and this is one that sometimes I've had to have conversations with my peers in product on, is maybe some folks sometimes presume that the startup customer is like less technical. It's like, we'll build some sort of kind of, you know, color by numbers Esque path from A to B. And the reality of it is that, again, some of our startup customers are pushing some of our products the hardest that they can be pushed. It's really fascinating. I mean, we sometimes get product teams reaching out to us and be like, hey, this, this customer account, it bubbled up in our top users list. And what in the world are they doing if they're in startups? Like, well, how could this be that this is a startup company? Um, and then we'll be like, oh, that's a cutting edge AI startup. And they're doing incredible things and you want to talk to them and, and hear what their pain points are and get some, you know, improvement to product ideas. And they'll be like, really? Like this, that's, this is a startup? It's like, yeah, this is a startup. Like this is 30 people, you wow. know, and 30 people and the tech team is 15 of them. And they are just kicking the tires on this product or use case like crazy. So I think that's another one. Maybe the last one I'll touch on, which we always say is our, our most important topic, is, is security. Oh. And you know, we, we will always say that security is our top priority at AWS. Um, we talk a lot about our, our shared security responsibility model around uh, you know, the things that we are effectively responsible for and provide for you know, security of the platform, security of the services, uh, security controls for customers to consume. And then, you know, what then those customers do consume of those security controls. You know, there's a lot of malicious players out there trying to do malicious things, you know, and fraud and spear phishing to get access to AWS accounts. Stuff like that is is surprisingly common. And I, I know that you and I have some peers that we know, folks, they've seen spear phishing attacks against their companies when they're pretty small companies. Yeah. And I think that that's one of these things that people often don't realize the reality and the scope of these is that there are players out there willing to target really small companies 
on the off opportunity that they can mine Bitcoin for a couple hours. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like they're going to set up some Bitcoin farming machines in like Brazil or like some other data center that you don't pay attention to. And then your bill comes. You're like, what, what happened? It's like, oh, well, yeah. you've got a startup. You've got like, like you said, 30 people. It's a pretty good chance if you like fake out like Mike at startup.com. That's probably going to be Mike's email versus like, yeah. M Thompson four or five whatever <laughs> at some enterprise, and yep. yeah, have definitely definitely yeah. seen that way too often. So I think for my startup customers, we, we spend a lot of time with them. You know, hey, multi-factor authentication. Yes. Hey, like yeah, sometimes it's lame to talk about things like network security. <laughs> you know, like people don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about the cool, sexy topics. But it's like you know what. We need you to not have your backends dangling out on the internet uh, without appropriate security controls. <laughs> and again, I think I think people don't realize like just the bad guys, as it were, in finger quotes, are pretty smart and are willing to chase down anyone that they think they can get, again, a couple hours of CPU time off of for free, yeah. which in my mind has been eye-opening. But like, yeah, we deal with a lot of fraud and, and things that need policing on the internet just in the nature of things, I guess I would say. Yes. And it, it doesn't feel like it's it's ever going away. It just feels like anytime you swat them back, they'll find some other thing to harass you about. So. You know, it's like you hear the stories of folks that are probably like our parents' age getting these phone calls and it's like the FBI or, or not the FBI, but like, you know, your son has been kidnapped, you know, wire us a bunch of money and you'll never see them again. Please go buy some gift cards or whatever. And yeah, like, don't, yeah. Don't ever. There's a, a million scammers out there just looking for that one opportunity a day. <laughs> so I think that's another thing. People just don't have necessarily the appropriate awareness at all times of the things to look out for, yeah. you, you know, how to prevent those successful uh, malicious attempts. Yeah, definitely. There's just so much of it out there. So as you're working with these companies, like, do they graduate from like your programs? Do they sort of get to the place where like, you know what, you look like a real company now, please, yeah. we're going to help you uh, yeah. go talk to these other folks. We have a little, we have a little graduation ceremony <laughs> and get up and sing a song and oh. no, get a little paper crown. No, we definitely do. And I mean, really, I think of the segment that I'm in now as, you know, a feeder to uh, some of the biggest customers that we have here. And I think if we look at who some of our biggest customers are, it's easy to say that some of them would have started in this segment, you know, 10, 15 years ago or mm -hmm. something like that. Had it existed, sure. Had it existed. And so... You know, we've got really big companies that then effectively do, we, we do call it graduate, like they graduate up to other field segments and other coverage models and just other ways of, of being managed inside of the business. And so we do have our, our thresholds in, in a couple of different ways. I, I can't go into the details on those, but it's what you'd expect. You know, it's a certain amount of spend, certain maturity graduates you on up to a, a different organization. Yeah. You've learned the ropes and can do your thing on your own for a little while and yeah, we hope. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, no, effectively, that's what it is. And, um, you know, I'd say that the companies that are at that point, they've got a significant understanding of cloud at that point. They've got a significant, you know, established business, really. So it's, it is much further along in the life cycle of a company than, than maybe one might presume. Mm -hmm. But you're building a, a what you hope is a, a lifetime relationship, right, with that company and, and AWS as like, 
AWS has all these things to offer. Here's all mm-hmm. this stuff. And when you need it, it's here. Just because you didn't need it last year doesn't mean you won't need it next year. So Absolutely. keeping that relationship alive as folks grow and expand and become more mature is super interesting. And it, it allows us to acknowledge the reality too that you know most startups fail. Yeah. Right. So like we we do have this challenge that you may talk to a company and then in six months they may not exist anymore. Yeah, they disappear. Yeah. Which I would say one other thing we spend a lot of time with customers on is cost optimization. And people sometimes talk about cost optimization as like, ah, you can like pump that down the line type of a thing. The line gets a lot shorter when you don't do cost optimization. And anything we can do to help make that line longer for a customer, I think is valuable. And so we've got, you know, obviously a lot of tools in the AWS toolbox today for this. There's a lot of stuff that partners provide that uh, we work with in this space as well. That's probably one other area we spend, I think, much more time than people would expect. Mm-hmm. I definitely have heard multiple cringy kind of stories as folks get caught out not paying attention to what they're doing or they're just, they're enthusiastic and the the development team wants X, Y, and Z and they're not sure what's going to happen until the end of the billing cycle and something happened. So You and I both kind of cut our teeth in this industry at a time where we racked and stacked. We had mm-hmm. physical data centers we went to. Um, you know that I used to work at Etsy and before that meetup.com and both of them were in physical data centers, you know, in the greater New York City metropolitan area. And I, in both of those jobs, spent at least one day a week at our colo just doing kind of housekeeping and maintenance. At those points in time, like we we're obviously limited by the rack space we had or the cage that we had or the physical servers that we had. And cost control kind of came, you know, at the other end of a PO and a long shipping process or something like that. You know, nowadays, the ability for companies just to come in and, and have access to these incredible, vast amounts of resources, you do have to be careful. You know, yeah. you do want to make sure that you're not blowing all your VC funding without thinking about, you know, longevity of the business. And so it, it is the kind of thing where the ease of consumption can sometimes be one of the things that people don't necessarily think about, like, oh, I should probably be a bit strategic about this. Yeah, it's hard to balance those ideas that catch fire, like that ideation, you're just like, oh, I just need X, Y, Z to put this together. And like you say, 10 years ago, that might have taken you six weeks to do the procurement to get the CPUs into the racks. I hope I never have to scratch myself on a rack rail ever again. But Mm -hmm. yeah, to be able to just turn the faucet on and pour ideas into it on the cloud, super exciting, but also for some folks, a little tricky. I'll never forget, like, I forget which one, which role it was in, but I'll never forget having to take a tissue and put it on a cut that I had that was bleeding heavily and then electrical taping it on to myself because like I had no band-aids in the colo. Nobody put band-aids in the colos. Like it's the first thing you see. No one had a first aid kit in the cola. What are you doing? What are we doing? Right. And so you just be like, oh my God, I have blood running down my yes. hand and I've got like hours left to do things. And you're like, let me just like battle patch this thing. And then what do I have? Well, I have electrical tape. Okay. I'll electrical tape this onto me until I get home. And yet you don't have to do that in the cloud. No, no, you, there's no blood. There's no blood involved in the cloud anymore, which is amazing. No. There's no emergency custom battle triage in the cloud, I guess, these yeah. days. So. You don't have to have a tetanus shot up to date to work in the cloud. So. That's true. There's no like, oh, you must be able to lift 50 pounds type of thing that you would have like the job requirements. 
So, you know, again, those were like those kind of things that I don't know, maybe now we're dating ourselves too much, but provided some counterbalance, perhaps. Yeah. And like people get so like, why are you so excited about this? It's so it seems so boring and rote now. And I'm like, because you don't understand how bad it used to be. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's true. Awesome. So is there any one thing that you recommend for folks if they're maybe in a startup and looking at solutions or just have an idea? How do they get engaged yeah. with you guys? And Yeah. So, I mean, our, our, our AWS Activate program is, is kind of our core startup program here in AWS. Uh, it provides credits. It provides access to training. It provides access to, at the higher levels, uh, business support. It also gives you like a, a bit of a, a line into working with us more closely. Now we have a couple of different levels. So if you're going through accelerators or incubators, or you are VC backed in some way, or going through some sort of uh, funded program, uh, you know, business schools do these, um, local communities do these. Um, like we're actually recording this right now in the middle of February, but in the beginning of April, we have an event down in uh, Miami for startups, Startup Day in Miami. Uh, and we're very much working with local community groups in the government level uh, that are really excited about startups. Um, and so, you know, how can we get plugged into them and uh, make sure that that they have a path to us? But either way, the Anibus Activate program, a uh, bunch of options there. That's always my day one recommendation for customers, just to, again, get credits just for showing up and then access to more resources beyond that. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes for anybody who's interested so they can check that out. They have the next great billion dollar idea. They can get it started on AWS through Activate. That'd be awesome. Absolutely. Chris, thank you so much for sharing this, all these tales with our audience this week. This has been great. Thanks for having me and I appreciate the time. Awesome. For everybody else out there, we'll talk to you again in two weeks. And for now, we'll wish you an uneventful day. does it for another installment of Pager to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pagertothelimit.com and you can reach us on Twitter at pagertothelimit using the number two. Thank you so much for joining us and remember, uneventful days are beautiful days.